CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Everybody, welcome in to the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with Don and I once again here to talk investing, finance, retirement, all sorts of good stuff here on Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash. And this is podcast episode number 54. It's actually outpacing me by a couple of years. So Don, it's not quite, it's not quite ready for um, you know any, anything uh, retirement-based yet. It's not 59 and a half or any of that good stuff, but it's getting up there. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Hey, just think about that. In another month or two, the show will be 59 and a half right in the middle of a show. That's right. Yeah, right in the middle of one. <laughs> we'll be going through it and it'll be eligible to uh, you know, pull some money out. <laughs> so, uh, and then we'll get it to where it's ready for Social Security. We'll have, maybe we'll have to do like episode 62 on you know, Social Security, taking it early or not, just, you know, just for the symmetry of it, right? Hey, Mark, it's what we do. That's right. There you go. Uh, you back from your trip. Everything doing good? You guys all right? Yeah, you know, back to normal, I, I think. Uh, you know, it's funny how you can go away for a few weeks, Mark, and when you come back, it's like you never left, right? Right. However, this time I did something different. You know, I kept a journal of what we did each day on the trip, hmm. which okay. was kind of cool. It was a, it's just a nice way to, at the end, kind of reflect upon the things that we did together. So I think I'm going to pick up and do that again next time. Nice. I've never been a journal guy, but I, a lot of people seem to enjoy that. So very cool. And I know we were just briefly chatting before we started that your daughter just had a birthday. So happy birthday to her. And mm-hmm. kids are getting ready to school. Kids were hanging out and all that kind of stuff. So it's that time, maybe hopefully that time of the year coming up, right? Yep. A shout out to Tori. She just turned 14. Yeah, Mark, big number. My gosh, I'm getting old. Make me feel old. She's my youngest. But it's on the horizon and she's starting high school. I, I have uh, uh, two finishing college and one going into college. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the, uh, the tuition is getting paid as we speak, actually, for the semester uh, for all four of them. But the big issue now for the family is we're one car short in our family since my youngest son took my oldest son's car and my oldest son took my wife's car. Okay. It's kind of going down the line. (laughs) So my wife is the odd person out and myself, we kind of share cars, but you wouldn't believe how difficult it is now we're looking for a car to buy a new car or a quality like, you know, two-year-old car. I mean, there's a big shortage of cars due to this microchip shortage. Yeah. Yeah. I Not too long ago, I was looking for one for my mom. Actually, they were about 25% uh, increase over where they were just a year ago. Yeah. I mean, the price of a good, let's say two or three-year-old car, they say it's up like 10% in just a month or two, if right. you can even get one. And I read an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal about this, Mark. The facts and figures just astounded me. They said, apparently when people turn in the cars that they buy new or they bought new a few years ago, mm-hmm. now after a few years that they maybe took out a loan a couple of years ago, about a third of them uh, typically are underwater on their loans. That's normal, right? When they, right. When they yeah, buy the first a couple car. of years, you're always upside down, yeah. Yeah, because it depreciates really rapidly. So their loan's underwater. But now for many car owners, the car's worth more than the loan balance. <laughs> Jeez. So even the companies that are repossessing cars, usually they, you know, they repossess them, they auction them off and write off the difference. They're mm-hmm. actually getting more in the auctions, then the, the repossession amount, it, it's insane. So you mentioned the cars are up, was it 20% you heard? Uh, not too long ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard something like 30, 35%. But it, wow, it's, wow. it wouldn't surprise it, me. 
it's outstanding. It's uh, and and it makes it frustrating because uh, you know, you, you just don't expect to pay almost a new car price for a car that's two or three years old. Yeah. And if you want a new car, it's not you have to wait around, you know, for the car to come into the dealership. So it's uh, a bit of a frustration. For sure. And really, it's kind of uh, apropos for what we're going to talk about because mortgages, housing, you know, the housing boom, the the prices of real estate, uh, all of that is just crazy right now, Don. So let's get into our main topic of the conversation today since it's right in line with that because the prices are out of control. As I mentioned, my brother just called about a place not too long ago, little little one acre place, a uh, small little bit, small one bedroom, one bathroom house just down the street from where I live. And the lady wanted a ridiculous amount of money for it. It was incredible how overpriced it is for what it... Uh, so she wanted $180,000 for this one acre, one bedroom, one bathroom little house down the street from my place. Well, when I bought my place just four years ago, Don, I got six acres and a whole lot more space than that, and a pool and a big building and so on and so forth. And it was only 40000 more than what this lady currently wants. Right? Oh, wow. Just crazy amount of how fast and how far some of the pricing and the uh, the homes have skyrocketed 20%, 30% in places and more. And you mentioned the, you know, the car prices. Inflation seems to be double digits in a lot of areas, yet the mortgage rates still kind of hang down here near the all-time lows. So what gives with all this, Don? Is it still a good time to you know, ponder the refinance. Yeah, it's a great question, Mark. And, and you know, everyone is hearing stories about this now, like, you know, this rapid appreciation, people asking for sky high prices for their, their lots or their real estate. And, and mm-hmm. you know what? A lot of them are getting it too. They right? are, it's, yeah. You know, so is it overpriced? Is it not overpriced? Maybe it is now. People are taking advantage of it. But, you know, the old refi uh, or don't refinance you know, that's the question, right? Since there's costs involved in refinancing. But I think that's how Shakespeare said it, right? To re, yeah, to, right. To refi or not to refi. Yeah. <laughs> to paraphrase Shakespeare. That's right. But uh, let's first address this paradox of inflation in housing prices, okay. right? And other areas and uh, a drop in mortgage rates. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? I mean, after all, aren't rates supposed to drop? when inflation is low during tough economic times like we had a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. and rise when uh, inflation is high and the economy seems to be soaring. But many people don't understand what the key rate is that drives these mortgage rates. And typically, the 30-year mortgage rate mark is tied very closely to the interest rate on a 10-year government treasury note. And right now, the interest rate on a 10-year government treasury note is about 1.23%. This is as of today, which is amazing, right? People are giving the government billions and billions of dollars to hold for 10 years and only getting a little over 1% in return. So it's amazing. And this is how the, the bond rates are established. The U.S. Treasury Department sells bills, they call it bills, notes, and bonds to pay for the U.S. debt. It issues the notes in terms of two-year, three-year, five-year, 10 years, and the bonds are issued in the terms of 30 years. But And there are auctions every week or every month, depending upon the length of the issue. And the 10-year note is the most popular product. Last year, Mark, we talked about this before, the deficit was over $3 trillion. That means there's over $250 billion a month in new bonds issued. Wow. Yeah, that's massive. Well, Don, I can hear people kind of saying, all right, wait a minute. That makes sense to me, but 
why is the 30 you know the 30 mortgage rate tied to a 10 year bond not a 30 year bond rate and why are the rates so low when inflation is so high i mean are, are rates going to fire back up at some point are we just waiting on this yeah that's the big question right are the rates going to shoot up with inflation and whether inflation is temporary or is it transitory uh, transitory is the yeah. word they use right or systemic it's probably a little bit of both mark right i mean there's there's going to be some systemic inflation based upon all of the new debt that's created and a lot of it may be transitory as people get back to work and the supply chain loosens up right and the covid as time goes on becomes less of an issue and maybe it's more endemic as opposed to the way it is now and it seems to be moving in that direction but the mortgage the 30-year mortgage rate is tied to the 10-year treasury note to answer your question, because the average homeowner only keeps their mortgage for a little under 10 years. Hmm. And it's not because they pay off the mortgage early, it's because they either sell their home or refinance their mortgage. So the question of why rates are so low and inflation is high, that's the real paradox. And this is the first time since 1980 that the inflation rate is higher than the 30-year mortgage rate. Think about that. Wow. Back in 1980, we can all barely remember that. Uh, I mean, it's great time, going back great time. 40 years or 41 years now. The inflation rate was 13%. And Mark, believe it or not, the mortgage rate hit 18% hmm. that year. Just think about that. You know, if, if a home back then was, I don't know, 50000 or $100,000, a good chunk of the payment was interest right? because the rate was so high. And people over the years, of course, have either paid off their mortgages or refinanced, and no one has a mortgage from 1980. Uh, and in fact, most people probably don't even have mortgages from 1990 or the year 2000. Probably not, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be not smart to, to keep a mortgage that old. It's not that unusual to have a 30-year mortgage rate and inflation rate be close to one another coming out of a recession. And secondly, inflation looks quite high now because of the severe recession we had this time a year ago and you know a year and a half ago and the labor shortages that exist now. How the inflation picture affects mortgage rates going forward also depends in part on whether consumer prices continue to rise sharply, of course. Uh, the consensus view at the Federal Reserve is that this surge is temporary and that price increases will come as the supply kind of catches up with demand. The bond market's relatively modest response indicates that it largely believes this view, Mark. But you know, if you look at the 10-year Treasury bill uh, that's uh, being auctioned, mm -hmm. when the inflation numbers were announced for the second quarter, which only ended almost a month ago, the, the inflation was like 5% or more. And the mortgage rates didn't really jump very much. Yeah, I just actually saw with the with some of those numbers came through just a day or two ago before we taped this that they're even saying Social Security is even saying the bump for Social Security might be quite high this go around uh, yeah. cost of living adjustment, which is like higher than we've seen in a very very long time. So there's still a lot of moving parts to all this, which begs the question again: Is it a good time to consider refinance? Yeah, it's a good question, and a lot of people, you know, every time this comes up, people think they missed the boat. 
uh, on refinancing. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like when they think that way, that the rate takes another dip, right? So, <laughs> you know, I refinanced it not long ago, and I thought there's no way we're ever going to see rates this low again. And I'm sure you have in the past as well, right? Mm-hmm. Thought the same thing. Um, and I remember having dinner with someone years ago, Mark, a banker, and I was buying a home. This has got to be maybe it could be my first home. And they said interest rates are five and a half percent on. They're never going lower than this. <laughs> this is what your parents took out their mortgage on. And I was thinking, you know, you're probably right. It's probably a good time to buy a home, which right. I did, and it worked out well. Sure. But uh, the rates now are be- between 2.1 and 2.7%. I spoke with a broker yesterday on yeah. this. Depending on the term and the credit rating and the points. And keep in mind, of course, there's cost involved with refinancing, like appraisals and title insurance and credit reports and things like that. And it's also a lot harder to qualify for a mortgage if you're self-employed, Mark, as opposed to being an employee. But here's where the refinancing look good, looks good and where it doesn't. It's generally good if you still have a large mortgage on your property and have not refinanced since the pandemic. Typically, if the new rate is 1% lower than your current, it makes sense. Could be even a little less than 1%. Yeah, if it's like a half or a couple of, you know, just a couple of points, it may not be really worth it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's one point to consider. If it's if you haven't refinanced in the past year and a half, it, it, it makes sense to at least look closely into this. If you want to shorten the term on your mortgage, Mark, here's another area where there could be an opportunity. Maybe you have an 18-year, 19 years left on the mortgage, and you can get a 15-year mortgage for the same payment. You know, the 15-year mortgage is close to 2%, the interest rate. So that could be an opportunity to maybe you know, pay the same amount and, and cut the term by four years or so, or change maybe from an adjustable rate mortgage to a fixed rate. The, the rates could be pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, or here's another thing that you, people have seen over the past year and a half. If you have a big increase in home equity because the value of the home went up a lot, and you want to get a bigger mortgage to maybe take out some cash for home improvements because you plan on staying there for a while, might be an opportunity to do that. But I also, I always caution people, Mark, that are younger not to take money out of their home to pay off debt if they haven't really dealt with the root problem of why they're in debt in the first place. That's a good point. You can understand that, of course. Yeah, that's a great point. But where it's not good, um, to refinance, and you mentioned a, a point before. If you're, you know, if you're, the rate is close to where it is today, mm-hmm. uh, or if you're close to paying off your mortgage. I see this a lot, Mark, with people who are in their 60s, maybe in their 50s. You have a very small balance left on the mortgage compared to the home value. I think it's generally a good idea not to have a mortgage in retirement, especially at age 72, when you have required IRA distributions. And for many people with a change in the standard deduction, the mortgage interest deduction, it doesn't really mean much to them at all. Or if you're planning on moving, let's say in the next year or two, the closing costs just make it where it's not worthwhile often to, to refinance. Yeah. And that's a great point too, because you were talking about with the ages and stuff. A lot of our listening demographic is probably going to be folks that are uh, you know of a certain age. So I'm sure most of your clients, Donner, 
probably already own their home or, or don't have that big of a, a mortgage left. So a lot of this advice could definitely fall towards uh, a bit more useful for kids or grandkids or siblings of uh, clients or listeners of the podcast. However, should they be in the market to sell their home or maybe consider a downsize? Uh, my, my partner, friend of mine, got... Um, a really ridiculous offer on his place, considerably more than, way more than they bought it for, right? And almost, not quite 50%, but like 40% more than what they bought it for. And so he's really contemplating this and it's like, well, okay, but then is it buying a new place going to be equally overpriced? Yeah, it's a great question. And let's talk about that downsizing question. But let's step back before sure. you mentioned about you know people who don't have big mortgages. They might be saying, oh, what does this have to do with me? I don't, my mortgage is small. I'm not going to refinance. I don't have a mortgage. Right. Uh, but just about everyone has someone in their family, whether it's their kids who are adults, their nieces and nephews, their own siblings, that really um, they need this kind of advice, right? So that's where we always encourage them to share the podcast. Definitely. Not every topic applies exactly to you, but we're about you know helping the community, right? Helping the family, helping people that could uh, benefit from this advice. And um, you know it could be our kids, grandkids, siblings, or someone else. But getting back to the um, the downsizing question, this does come up quite a bit. The problem with doing that now is there so few homes on the market to downsize into, right? So, you know, you could have bought your home for $300,000 years ago, and now it's worth $800,000. Right. And the home that you'd like to downsize into may have been $450,000 a year ago, but now it's (laughs) $600,000. If you can even find one. That's right. If you can find it. And of course, that guy probably wants, or that gal wants seven hundred thousand dollars. Right. You know, and, and good luck trying to find a home to rent. <laughs> yeah. They're as rare as a black swan. I mean, I mentioned earlier that it was my daughter's fourteenth birthday last night. We went out to dinner with her and her friends. We're walking back to the car, and there was a new uh, apartment complex that was built uh, not far from us, and uh, it was like maybe I'm going to say, let's say twenty apartments, not large, brand new, and I. You Googled it, you know, how much are these apartments, Mark? They were $3,600 a month Whoa. for two-bedroom apartments. Wow. It astounded me. I thought maybe it would be 2500 in that ballpark. It was nothing special about them. But, uh, you know, finding a place that, that you can rent is even difficult. But, Mark, you know, we often fall victim to something called recency bias, mm-hmm. right? We've talked about that in the past. It's like a behavioral finance term. We think that what's occurring today, whether it's inflation or deflation or bad economic times or good economic times, will just keep on happening in the future. And I am concerned that many people today that do decide to sell their home and downside or even make a lateral move into a, a same kind of home or even a larger home, they don't do enough homework to see if they're truly getting a good value. And one way to look at the value of the home you're interested in is to look at the price per square foot for the home that you like and compare it to the value in the area per square foot. Now, okay. a lot of people don't like really look deeply into that. Right. Give us an, ex- uh, so, give us an example. Yeah. Yeah. Example, a 2,500 square foot home with uh, a selling price in the area of $200 per square foot should be valued at about 
five hundred thousand dollars, mm, right? Okay. So I, I looked at this recently. I I'm still taking a lot of walks in my neighborhood to to exercise and notice the end of the cul-de-sac. There's a home for sale. They're selling it themselves, not through a realtor. It says for oh for sale by owner. That's almost a duplicate of my home. Very same square footage, same age, same style, etc. The value of my home, the estimate is $222 per square foot. And they're asking $313 a square foot yeah. for their it's a 40% difference. Exactly. Yeah, to my to my story earlier. Exactly. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So of course I'm hoping that that is the value, right? You know, selfishly. But you know, be mindful if you fall in love with a home that you just you gotta have, you could be overpaying if that price per square foot is way out of whack with what you're seeing in the area. And, and it's also important to note, Mark, that there's something called a, a COVID federal moratorium on single family home foreclosures that expires this week. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. July 31st, which happens to be my anniversary. We talked about that off the air. <laughs> Happy so. anniversary. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. This Saturday. But that could bring a lot more homes into the marketplace. So we're kind of in a weird situation here. There's a shortage of lumber, workers, appliances, products, homes for sale, used cars, the gamut. Don't let your emotions take over and fall victim to a recency bias. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on and so many moving parts. And, you know, we could see some major changes as the fall approaches. We've been hearing a lot about this, that, and the other with September and various things kind of ending and whatnot. So I think we're still in for some more rocky turmoil. And as always, if you got some questions or concerns, whether this kind of a topic applies to you, as Don mentioned earlier, or but maybe it could apply to a family member or a friend or loved one, make sure you're having them check with a qualified professional before you take any action. You can have a 15-minute conversation with Don if you'd like. He is a CPA and a CFP, so reach out to him at 800-664-1183. That's 800-664-1183. Or stop by the main website, donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash. Dot com. And if you'd like to drop an email to the to the program, you can certainly do that as well. And that's what we're going to do right now on the Cash Connection. To wrap it up, this week on the podcast, Patty out in Monroe, here's your question if you're listening today. She says, uh, Don, my husband and I argue about money almost every day because we just haven't done a great job of planning for retirement. And it's starting to really stress us both out. Is this normal or do we need some serious help? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> Well, Patty, of course, this is totally, totally normal, (laughs) right? right? So, you know, for married couples, this is, and most people probably know this, the number one reason for fights. It's always money, right? Ah, almost always, Mark. I mean, the others are communication or children, shared values, time management, basic priorities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, money is kind of like the culmination of all these other issues, I would say. And I will say this, if couples don't get really clear on their values, their purpose, their priorities, and how they spend their time, it's really often going to manifest in money issues. In terms of her saying that she hasn't done a great job planning for retirement and stressing uh, them out, of course, don't know their ages, their income, their situation, but everyone's different. And sometimes people kind of lump themselves into you know, uh, everyone else's um, basket. Mm-hmm. And there are some significant differences in where people are going to land in retirement, often based on whether they have a pension, right, or not. Right. Um, whether they uh, plan on working 
in retirement or not, the type of work that they do, the amount of money they spend, right? What's their lifestyle? Do they have one home, two homes, kids in college? There's so many issues out there. But first steps I say is, one, get a list of all of your expenditures. No judgments here. Just write it all down and just make a vow to respect each other as you do this. Promise to be civil and talk about your shared goals and values, not the differences. Okay, Talk about where you want to be in five years, 10 years, or even further down the road. And, and be honest about what keeps you up at night. And you know the old saying is, and I always tell this to my kids and you know and other young people, uh, God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? So you should listen twice as much <laughs> as you speak. Just listen, uh, and you know, of course, if necessary, talk to a counselor, a pastor, a, you know, a trusted older person. If your parents are alive and healthy, I think they're always a, a great resource. And, and of course, I sound self-serving here when I say reach out to a qualified advisor, as you always say when it comes to financial issues. But you know, communication is always really the key and having a, a clear vision and uh, a shared set of values on the purpose for life and money, I think is going to go a long way to diffusing a lot of the anxiety. Well, that's a great question, Patty. And you're definitely not alone. So as Don said, there's some good tips to kind of get started, but definitely bring in a qualified professional to the conversation as well. Because as you said, you may not have done a good job saving for retirement and you won't know until you really start to run some of those numbers. And that can also alleviate some of that stress. So do yourself and your retirement a favor and have those conversations with each other, but also with a qualified professional like Don, again, CPA, CFP. You've reached out to him. Go ahead and, and call him 800-664-1183 or stop by the website and subscribe to the podcast, folks, if you're listening at Your Money and Your Life. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartStitcher, all that stuff. Uh, just type that right into the search box or just stop by the main website there, which is donaldcash.com. Again, donaldcash.com. All right, my friend, we better get out of here this week. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Uh, we'll see how things shake out as we get a little closer into September, but happy anniversary. We'll talk soon. Thanks, my friend. Talk to you soon. We'll catch you next time here on Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash, CPA and CFP at Donald W. Cash and Associates. Again, donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.